The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Roads Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, everyone. Glad to have you with us on Trip Talk. This program is brought to you by our good friends at ScenicTrace.com. Adventure, history, and beauty all await you on the Natchez Trace Parkway, a national scenic byway and national park. This 444-mile drive takes you through some of the country's most stunning landscapes, while also allowing you access to exciting communities along the way. From Natchez, Mississippi to Nashville, Tennessee, we invite you to explore the trace and discover America. Plan your trip now at scenictrace.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today, we won't be on the Natchez Trace. No, no, we're headed to the Motor City. We are going to find out plenty of wonderful information for anyone who is planning a trip anywhere around Detroit, Michigan. The Motor City is happening like, surprisingly, many of us never knew. And that is courtesy of a wonderful author by the name of Amy S. Eckert. She is our guest today. And she has written a second edition already of a book that was already pretty new. It's called 100 Things to Do in Detroit Before You Die. It's a bucket list book. Amy S. Eckert joins us on the phone. And Amy, I am so delighted that we could arrange this interview because I read the book, 100 Things to Do in Detroit Before You Die. I loved it. I gave it a glowing review for American Road Magazine. And now here we are on the air. Oh, I'm so glad you enjoyed the book. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff to see and do in Detroit. A lot of people know the city's history as a center for music and manufacturing, but there's so much to see and do in the city right now. I would say, Amy, that it is unusual for someone to launch a second edition of a book that was actually pretty new already. So this soon after releasing the first book yeah. tells me that Detroit is a city on the move. It is, yeah. When I was first approached by my editors um, at Reading Press to produce the, the first volume, or the first edition of 100 Things to Do in Detroit, I knew there was a lot going on, and they did too, which is why they asked me to write this travel guide to the city of Detroit. But within... Um, about a year, um, which is a pretty short time span for a book. Um, within a year, we knew that it was quickly becoming outdated because, um, you know, the, the old uh, beloved hockey uh, hockey venue was being replaced by Little Caesars Arena, and there was a new light rail um, train line running through the middle of the city, and, um, just, uh, you know, a whole host of new independent restaurants, and um, it just it, it just didn't take very long before the first edition of 100 Things to Do in Detroit Before You Die had really become dated. So we made the joint decision to launch a second edition, and um, that's the book I think you have in your hands and the one that you recently reviewed. Yes, it is, and I will freely admit to you, Amy, I love the book. I mean, just reading it was a lot of fun. But I was genuinely surprised to find out that there is such a, a coordinated and concentrated effort going on in Detroit to rebrand the city to, and even more than that, to reimagine it. 
When I talk to people about Detroit, quite mm -hmm. honestly, they say, well, that's a, a city that went bankrupt and there's a lot of urban decay there. And based on this book, I think I can now safely tell them, then you really don't know Detroit. Yeah. Well, you know, back in the 1920s and 30s, Detroit was one of the biggest and most powerful cities in the country. And they spent their money on grand and glorious buildings just a, a, a whole host of downtown skyscrapers. I mean, they don't seem hugely tall by modern standards, but, you know, um, 12, 15, 20-story buildings that were popping up in the middle of Detroit by some of the world's most renowned architects, and they were covered with, um, you know, with, with tile, with ceramic tile, and they were um, painted inside with frescoes and, you know, glorious crystal and um, terracotta. I mean, they were just stunning in their day. And then, of course, you know, in the 1960s and 70s and 80s, when um, you know, it was largely the result of the, the, the collapse of the automotive industry, times got really tough for Detroit, and many of those buildings sat empty and um, just really sadly dilapidated. But within the last 10 years, um, now that the tide has kind of turned the other direction again in Detroit, there are a lot of business owners who have come through and, and picked up those grand buildings um, and, and repurpose them. So you'll find fabulous coffee shops inside buildings that are covered with almost century-old frescoes and um, new boutique hotels that sit in buildings that were once, you know, architectural, architectural marvels back in the 1920s. So, right. um, you know, what was grand architecture back a century ago is once again grand and you know, really ripe for a traveler to explore. Now, Amy, I happen to be a big fan of Art Deco. When I go, I live in Florida mm. on the Gulf side. So when I made a trip over to Miami and South Beach, I love the Art Deco architecture that I saw. If I go to Detroit, are there going to be echoes or reimaginings of the Art Deco lifestyle for which Detroit is in part famous? Well, some of both. I mean, there are certainly echoes of those Art Deco buildings um, in places like the Farmers Hotel, um, places like um, the Book Cadillac Hotel, which were really big, you know, really big deals back in the 20s. Um, right. And um, they have been reimagined. Most of us in 2019 don't really want to stay in a building that was built um, and is so original to its. its 1920s structure. I mean, we love the beauty and the design, but we want modern bathrooms and we want a great shower and all of that kind of thing. So, um, so especially in the hotel scene, um, those hotels I mentioned, but in um, you know, there's the new um, um, Element Hotel and the new Chinola Hotel, um, which has gotten a lot of press. Chinola's uh, first venture into the hotel business. Those buildings were all built in the 20s. And they all have the, the echoes of that great um, design, but they're also fully modernized. So they've got great bars and um, they've got great, um, you know, all the modern amenities that you hope to get in the modern hotel room. And that's good news for those of us who love both art and the creature comforts of modern design and architecture. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> the second edition yeah, is yeah. out now. 
100 Things to Do in Detroit Before You Die. Amy S. Eckert is the author and our guest for this edition of Trip Talk. Amy, I wanted to ask you, because in Seattle, where this program originates and will later become a podcast being sent hither and yon, you have lots and lots of sports fans listening. Now, Seattle, for example, Mm -hmm. has the Seahawks and the Mariners. We don't have the Sonics in the NBA anymore, but there's an NHL hockey team coming up in a couple of years. That will be a brand new franchise. One of the things that the city elders of Detroit did brilliantly, based on what I read in your book, is that they took the Mm -hmm. sports arenas, the baseball stadium, Comerica Park, they took the uh, Little Caesars Arena, for example, and they put these places, Ford Field, where the Detroit Lions of the NFL play, they put these Mm -hmm. within, let's say, easy striking distance of each other, and it seems to be along a grid of some very handy transportation as well. Exactly, yeah, and Comerica Park, too, where the Detroit Tigers play, all four of Detroit's major sports teams, and I'll just add that um, Little Caesars Arena is home not only to the Red Wings, but also to the Detroit Pistons, which are our, um, that's our NBA team. They all lie within about a half mile walk of each other. So you can easily um, stay in downtown Detroit and go to any one of those sports venues to catch a game um, or, you know, multiple games because there's a lot of crossover between the professional teams. And, um, and um, you can just travel back and forth between um, – restaurants and your hotel and the food venue by the queue line. The queue line is a new um, light rail uh, train that runs right up Woodward Avenue. Woodward Avenue is the first um, paved street in America, and it runs right from the Detroit River, right in the heart of downtown, all the way out to the suburbs. And the queue line runs right down the center of it. So um, you can travel the queue line and easily go around between um, all those different venues, um, and like I said, great places to eat and and stay too. It, I mean, the, the Q line was a really big deal in Detroit when it opened up because this is, as most people know, a city that really loves the automobile, and so we never really had great mass transit in the city of Detroit. Everybody had a car, and everybody drove wherever they went. So. You know, the unveiling of the Q-Line when it came in uh, 2017 was a big, big deal. And it makes life just that much easier for travelers to Detroit. You can park your car and leave it there and get around and see the, the city's best attractions without having to move your car again. That is so intelligent, Amy, because if you're going to invite people into the core of a major city, you've got to make it easy to get around. So the queue line yeah. is one of the critical ways somebody can do that. And I take it rather inexpensively, given all that's available for you to see and enjoy. Please explain for our yeah. listeners the difference between the queue line as a system and something called the people mover, because I grew up seven miles from Disneyland, and when I hear people mover, I'm thinking about the ride called the people mover or the monorail itself. Yeah, well, the people mover is a monorail, and it was built in the 1970s, if my memory serves it correctly. Um, it was built in the 1970s, and it makes a loop through the downtown and it's a driverless uh, monorail train that circles, goes all the way from the, the, the waterfront, which is where the Detroit Riverwalk and Hart Plaza, which is a big um, music and, and festival venue, 
it goes from there to the major downtown um, uh, restaurants and hotels. It goes to Town, which is a big casino and entertainment district. Um, it, it, it really covers a, a circular path in this part of downtown Detroit. It's a great way to get around. Um, but it really just covers a small circle, and um, it, reach, it reaches many destinations in downtown Detroit, and it's still a great way to get around. But it really didn't reach very far up to the north, and it certainly didn't reach all the way up to the sports venues like um, like Little Caesars Arena. So um, we um, saw the launch of the two line back um, that was in 2017, and um, that that line, that light rail line, now extends north about three and a half miles from the Detroit River, and it reaches some areas that the two line didn't. Now, the great news for travelers to downtown Detroit is that they can use both because they're both very inexpensive. Um, the people mover costs seven five cents. Um, the two line is like a buck for three hours, and oh wow, kind of fits and match getting around um, the downtown area with the help of those two, um, you know, those, those two mass transit systems. And um, you really don't need to, to worry about driving. Going to downtown Detroit is kind of tricky because the city was laid out on kind of a hub-and-spoke pattern. Um, it looks a lot like a wheel, and it's very pretty on the map, but it can be confusing because a lot of the streets just don't come together at tidy right angle. So, um, you know, even I, when I head downtown, really like to go on those transit because it can be confusing um, to get around on my own. Good to know. And that's one reason why I would recommend that anyone, it's so handy, it's a thin enough volume, chock full of great information, but not a large, heavy, bulky book. 100 Things to Do in Detroit Before You Die. Take it with you when you go to Detroit because you will be thankful that you did. There's just so much to see. Let's take a moment out. We want to hear again from our folks at uh, scenictrace.com and then more with Amy Eckert, author of the book just mentioned. And I have more questions for her about the Motor City. When you're not in Detroit, maybe you're headed south. Well, the folks at scenictrace.com would like you to know that what awaits you there is adventure history and beauty, all of it on the Natchez Trace Parkway, a national scenic byway and national park. This 444 mile drive takes you through some of the country's most stunning landscapes, while also allowing you access to exciting communities along the way. From Natchez, Mississippi to Nashville, Tennessee, we invite you to explore the trace and discover America. Plan your trip at scenictrace.com. We are back talking with Amy Eckert about 100 Things to Do in Detroit Before You Die. And reading the book, I must tell you, Amy, I got the strong impression that the year 2017 was a breakout year in terms of unveiling or the coming to fruition of so much that Detroit has to offer to visitors. Oh, absolutely. We've already talked a lot about the queue line. And we've talked about um, Little Caesars Arena, which is uh, a major sports and entertainment venue. Um, those those uh, destinations were really unveiled in 2017. But beyond that, I mean, the hotel and restaurant scene just exploded um, in 2016, 2017. Um, it, it's really fun to go downtown Detroit and um, stay at the local restaurants and, and um, 
in hotels. And a, a large part of that is because the city has sort of repurposed many of its great historic buildings into fun new hotels and restaurants. But the other part of that really is the people of Detroit themselves. We, it, Detroiters are loyal above all, and they love their city. And um, in spite of the worst of the, 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 um, the things that have passed in the last decade or so, people just don't give up on Detroit easily. And so as a result, many of the great restaurants and bars downtown are owned by Detroiters who refuse to give up on their city when times got tough. As a result, you'll find, um, you'll find bakeries like Sister Pie that um, were opened by a Detroiter, but like nothing else in the world, it's a bakery that specializes in pies, as the name suggests. Um, got um, restaurants um, downtown and in um, Corktown, which is a historic Irish neighborhood, um, Restaurants like Bobcat Bonnie's and um, Astro Coffee and um, Gold Cash Gold, which is a fine dining restaurant, they were all started by local Detroiters who just really wanted to see the city come back. Um, they're one-of-a-kind restaurants with local ownership and local menus, and they promise dining and, um, and drinks like you just can't find anywhere else. And that's what people are looking for, the unique experience. What if I want a good Eero sure. sandwich or a plate of moussaka? I understand there's quite a large Greek community in and around Detroit. There is. There's a large Greek town in Detroit. It's called Greek Town. It's just um, a couple of blocks away from uh, Woodward Avenue, which is kind of the downtown artery of the city. Um, there is a, a great casino there if you're into gaming, the Greek Town Casino. But there are also a lot of great places to get authentic um, Greek food, um, to get drinks after a game. Um, those restaurants have been owned by Greek families, um, some of them for a century. Um, there are, uh, you'll still hear Greek spoken in the kitchen. So it's a very authentic experience there. Um, and I also like to give um, people a word of advice to head out to Dearborn, which is about a 20-minute um, drive from downtown, but a very easy drive from downtown Detroit. Um, it's home to the nation's largest Arab American population, and um, you'll find some of the finest Lebanese and Middle Eastern cooking anywhere in the country in Dearborn. It's a great spot for food lovers. And whenever I travel, I definitely look for unique places to eat. I, I'm going to be honest. I go to the chains. If I want Outback, I go for Outback. But I don't like to leave a place where I'm staying even for a couple of days without sampling the local cuisine because that's the unique experience mm. that people are looking for. I, I quite understand that. And to have an Irish watering yeah. hole, for example, in Corktown, yes, I'm going to go there. That's, an whole, that's a whole other adventure unto itself. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And yet you'll still find some of the historic places that uh, people really associate with Detroit. For example, the automotive industry um, is really laid out for people to explore and um, learn about at the Ford Museum. That was Henry Ford's original um, collection. He, he had a little money and he liked to collect things and he uh, collected cars and, and even things like um, the very that Abraham Lincoln was sitting in when he was assassinated, and um, and you know the Damaxian House, and just all kinds of really fascinating 
bits of Americana that have been saved and are there on display at the Henry Ford Museum, Plus, a, bit, a building that covers 12 acres. And then out back is Greenfield Village, where um, Henry Ford moved the houses that he collected. He collected the Wright Brothers Bicycle Shop, and he collected Edison's um, um, laboratory and buildings like this from places all around the world and moved them to a spot that we now call Greenfield Village. So, um, you know, those those vestiges of the automotive industry are easy to see in Detroit, as well as its musical heritage, um, the Motown Museum, where Stevie Wonder and the Supremes cut their albums and really changed the shape of American culture. Um, you know, the, the buildings that comprise the Motown Museum are still there, and people can tour them, and... Um, those are aspects of Detroit history that have certainly not gone away, even though there's a lot fewer to see in the city. Yes, and I would like to say a bit more about Motown. But before I do that, I don't want to gloss this over at, uh, so people understand as they plan their trip to Detroit. You're talking about the Ford family acquiring items that you would not expect to find in the same area. And you were you just told us right. a few moments ago that the actual I'm not talking about a replica, but the actual chair Abraham Lincoln, President Lincoln, was sitting in when he was assassinated. That chair is in a collection where you can go and actually look right at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the automobile that JFK was riding in when he was assassinated in uh, Dallas is in the Henry Ford Museum. Um, there's a whole list of a whole lineup of presidential automobiles, Ronald Reagan's automobile, um, and just a whole host of uh, of um, great great pieces of Americana that, quite honestly, um, communities would never part with today. You know, uh, um, certainly the federal government wouldn't give up um, Lincoln's chair today, and um, and I, I don't think that the Wright family would ever have allowed their bicycle museum to be picked up and, and sold to the likes of Henry Ford. But it was a different day uh, when Henry Ford lived, and he um, he purchased items like this and, and really had a strong sense that they ought to be preserved for posterity in a single place. And so, uh, yeah, so he, he purchased these items and, um, and worked connections that he had and um, has moved many of America's most iconic historical pieces to this property in Detroit, Michigan. It's fascinating. It's fascinating and humbling at the same time. I had to try to wrap my mind mm -hmm. around it. I can go to a place where I can look upon the chair in which President Lincoln was seated when he was assassinated, and I can see the car that President John F. Kennedy was riding in when he was assassinated, and it's in the same place. Yeah. The first thought in my, I mean, I was stunned to read that. I had no idea, Amy, but also, you'd yeah. have to have a lot of influence and the money to go with to be able to get those two items of unique historical import and to put them in one building mm -hmm. and not have the Smithsonian Institute already possess them for all time. That was stunning. It, it is stunning, and, and again, I'm not sure it's something that could happen today, but it is, it, it's really a fascinating look in American history. Rosa Parks bus, the, the bus, the Montgomery bus that Rosa Parks 
um, famously refused to give up her seat on. It's, it's also at the Henry Ford Museum. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a, a day in which, um, you know, a, a manufacturing titan like Ford was able to um, wield his influence and his money and uh, create just a, a great American museum, um, a, a museum that probably by all rights compares with the Smithsonian institution, but, but predates it by many years. Guaranteed, when I visit Detroit, and I will, I'm going to go to that museum. Uh, that's just mind-boggling. And to go back to what I mentioned uh, a few moments ago, and thank you for all that great information. That's mind-boggling. There, Motown itself, the, that's the house that Barry Gordy built, and also Diana Ross and Stevie yeah. Wonder, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. From what I understand, reading the second edition of your book, they had plans for expansion that may already have been completed in this year of 2019. Is that so? Well, they got a little bogged down with that. It's not been completed yet. They're still um, in the planning stages, and they're hoping for 2020 opening. But yes, they are um, the the um, the uh, managers of that of uh, the Motown Museum are planning quite an expansion of the building. They'll preserve what exists of the house that Barry Gordy built, but their plans um, include an expansion of the museum and a whole entertainment and music complex so that um, people who have an interest in music can not only see the historical uh, buildings that um, Diana Ross and uh, Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye uh, recorded in, but can also um, enjoy some modern, um, some live music presentations as well that's fantastic i absolutely will no wonder there's a bucket on the cover of the book the second edition written by amy s eckert a well-known travel writer 100 things to do in detroit before you die get there and experience things you cannot see anywhere else amy i want to thank you so much for being on our show i know you have written other detroit themed books and we're going to have to do that when it, be, when it comes uh, summertime. We'll talk about some of the outdoor adventures to be experienced in and around Detroit. We'd love to have you back. That sounds fantastic. Thanks so much for your interest in Detroit. And uh, thanks for inviting me to be part of your show. It was our great pleasure. Amy S. Eckert. Thank you so much, Amy. I did want to get this in before we close for today. We have a special offer going on. Mother's Day is right around the corner. Fuel the road trip dreams of the special mother figure in your life with a subscription to American Road Magazine. Perfect for moms, grandmas, aunts, and that special friend. Visit AmericanRoadMagazine.com, click subscribe, and enter the code KKNW to receive 25% off your subscription. Save some money and have a good read before you hit the road. Well, thanks once again for joining us, everybody. We love it when you tune in to American Road Trip Talk. We'll be back with another show next Friday. And, of course, on Podcast One at 1150kknw.com and American Road Magazine, you can find the podcast as our buddy Eric gets it ready and served up all around the world. Along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine, we remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com. Until next week, drive safely and dream well.